Pulse Audio Podcast Network. What do you get when you mix two besties with breasties, a bottle of wine, and some badass babes from history? That's right, you get whining about herstory, where two longtime gal pals talk about women from history you probably haven't heard of, but deaf should have. We also drink a bottle of wine while doing it. I'm Kelly. Orange, you glad I didn't say banana? <laughs> when you were telling, setting Apple up the bitches. Joke. Apple motherfuckers. No, when you were setting that up, I was like, oh, oh, wait, I think I know this one. Like, I was getting ready like it was a real riddle, where I was like, ooh, ooh, no, the doctor's his mother. The surgeon's his mother. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I'm Emily. <laughs> My dad's favorite joke is there's two. One I actually like, the other one I don't. So one of them is what do you uh where do you find a turtle with no legs? On its back, right where you left it. God damn it. And the other one is, did you hear about the fire at the circus? It was intense. It was intense. I actually, that I is say my that. favorite joke. I say that because I heard the joke from your dad. So now whenever I say something's intense, I was like, oh, that was intense. Yeah, and I, I whisper like a circus fire. Yeah. Don't worry. Like when I say something's intense, I like, I look at Justin, we make eye contact yep. and I, I like every single time he smiles and I giggle. <laughs> Cause yeah, in my mind, I'm like, like a fire at the circus. God damn it. Oh, dad jokes. It was intense. You go dad jokes. Anyway, so today we're drinking a tiny little baby bottle of wine. Just celebrate the baby puppy because yeah. she can't drink full bottles. She's just she, so ju- cute. she can only drink baby wine. I'll have to post more on our Instagram about her. She's pretty yes. cute. So we're drinking a little tiny bottle of California rose from Bloom and Blossom. So it's a little out of date. Because it says, spring is in the air and new blooms tell the tale of change in the weather. To help celebrate, we invite you to enjoy the best of this season with our new Bloom and Blossom wines. So obviously, yeah, it's it's like midsummer at this point. You know point. what? It's spring somewhere. I want to get one of those clocks where it says it's five o'clock somewhere. Right. It's spring somewhere. Right. You ready for this? Yes. Ooh. Ah, nice crack. Ooh. Now that's a crack I wouldn't mind staring at while it fixes my sink. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> I do like that. I mean, yeah. The wine's okay, too. Okay. <laughs> I meant I liked the joke. Bask in my praise, Emily. It doesn't happen very often to your jokes. It literally never happens. <laughs> like, trying to get Kelly to genuinely laugh at my bullshit, sometimes I'm like, does Ke- do you think Ellie thinks I'm funny? I was going to throw Does that Kelly into the intro. Funny? I was going to be like, and shitty puns. And then I'm like, no, I'm not going to kick Emily at the beginning of the episode. No, wait until, I've, wait until I've earned it, which will probably be within the next 10 minutes. <laughs> I, it's okay. I'm not a huge fan. It's very muted. Like it's not yeah. very flavorful. Now to be fair, it has been, it, it hasn't been opened until now, but... It's been hanging out here for a it's minute. It's been like a year. <laughs> it's been here for a minute. Like, it's not bad. No, and actually, it's got this, like, it feels really warm going down. Like, I can feel mm-hmm. it in my chest. I think if you like a more mellow, muted rosé, like, I'm I'm all for, like, the big berry flavors. I want a wine that's just going to, like, yeah. like, grab punch me. Punch me in the tongue. I want Dude, I want a wine that's going to tongue fuck me, grabs me by the shoulders and just like just goes for it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. In the rain. 
Yes. Yes. But this is this is like th- this wine is like you know you're, you're hanging out with a bunch of people. Everyone's just kind of doing their own thing, and they just like look over and like give you a quick peck on the cheek. That's what this right. wine is. Yeah. And that's nice. I'm just saying it like, has its place. It has its place. And the bottle's so fucking cute. It is. I also feel like it's telling me to bloom and blossom. It's like, hey, you do this. And I'm like, don't tell me what to do. But I will. We'll see. You get to start. Oh, fuck. I do. Okay. Um, I confirmed this before we started recording, so I don't know why I'm surprised. So just a heads up, we are still rolling with the power of pride because we couldn't record for a while. Because and our magic black box was dumb. Our magic That's a judgment, black box I'm sticking with it. was hijacked was, by agents of the yeah, patriarchy. It was no longer magic for a little it while. It was not magic. But I fixed it. Hashtag and it's okay. not my box. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't vote for that box. Um. But we're still kind of playing catch up on some of our pride stories. That being said, pride is always, and we do cover queer women more than just in June. So totes of probes. Heck yeah. So today I'm whining about Jenny June and the circle of hermaphroditos. All right. I saw that and I'm like, done. (laughs) The story has picked me. So when we started this podcast, we decided to focus on underrepresented women from history. However, that does paint us into a closet when it comes to telling the stories of gender nonconforming people or those whose gender has been obscured due to a lack of documentation or a lack of even language at the time. So today, in honor of Pride, I am stepping out of the narrow binary box to share the story of Jenny June and the circle of hermaphroditos, which, like, this sounds like a young adult novel, like Percy Jackson and the Olympians, Jenny June and the circle of hermaphroditos. I love it. Really quick. I know that, like, hermaphrodite is not a preferred term anymore um this is what these individuals called themselves and their group because that was the language of the time so if i do use any language like that i'm either using it at to refer to this group or using it in a quote that is said by the person because i don't want to i don't want to just like take their words because these were the words that they were using to identify themselves so jenny june was born sometime around 1874 in connecticut as one of 11 children to a white middle-class puritan family how cute oh yeah is there anyone else on the head is there anyone else in connecticut other than white middle class middle and upper class puritan families just it's a state of wasps. As far as you can, I can see. Wasps blowing in the breeze. <laughs> um, so though Jenny was assigned male at birth, they would write extensively of wishing they were a woman and would describe themselves as feeling like they were a combination of male and female. Jenny would use he, him pronouns in their writing, but because of their self-described androgyny, I am going to use they, them pronouns. Um, Jenny talks, so Jenny June is the name that they used. Um, Jenny talks a lot about wishing to be a woman, feeling that they're feminine, yeah. but they never describe themselves exclusively like I'm a woman. Um, they 
They talk a lot about feeling like they're a hermaphrodite or being androgynous. Um, in their right in their writing, they identify themselves as he him, but in a lot of other expressions, they do refer to like I have a woman inside me or I'm feminine or I have the I have the feminine part of me and so that's why I felt comfortable covering this person because they're at the very least gender non-conforming so when Jenny was young it was common for all children to wear dresses and skirts and then male children would be quote-unquote breached or made to wear breeches what a horrifying term for just wearing pants like hey oh what at what age were you pants what what age were you forced to start wearing pants oh why right. are we saying it like that yeah this such is such a so weird thing I what age were say, you forced to wear pants yeah like do we have language like that now where it's like a baby stops wearing onesies or it's like oh are you in your twosies phase where you wear two-piece outfits are you are you, are you in 2t yet <laughs> That's the weird thing. Fruity tootie. Like when they're at a certain age, that's what it is. It's like one T, two T, three T. And I'm like, why? That's because it's toddler. I know. know, But like how often do the numbers actually line up with the age of the toddler? Very rarely. Probably just as well as women's clothing sizes are consistent. Yeah. Even within the same brand and style. We We should make a drunk ramble about that. Everything is garbage. Everything is garbage. Everything sucks when pants don't have pockets. So, um, so when Jenny was breached at seven years old, they were devastated. They would steal their sister's clothes and insist on continuing to wear women's clothes. And much like April Ashley, who I covered last week, Jenny would pray to be a girl and struggle with depression from being forced to conform to society's standards of masculinity. And there are a lot of similarities between Jenny's story and April's story. And it's so sad because they take place like ages apart. Right. And you it's know? not fair and it's dumb. Like that, the, like it was still, it was still happening. It's still happening. But I think there's a lot of things that we can infer from the similarities between April's story and Jenny's. So not only was Jenny, Jenny struggling with their gender, but once they hit puberty, things became a lot more complex for them. At 14 years old, Jenny began to naturally grow breasts, likely due to gyne... Oh, fuck. I, I, I'm either too drunk or too sober to read this word. Gynecomastia. Sounds right. Which is characterized by abnormal enlargement of the breasts in males due to hormone imbalance. Okay. So even though Jenny was born male to, assigned male at birth, they're growing breasts. And I was, and actually, if you look up photos of, of Jenny, like you yeah. see that. And like, I, I was kind of looking into it. It's like, this is a thing that happens and yep. it's not like the most uncommon thing in the world. Um, but so it's due to a hormone imbalance and Jenny was at first very excited because it seemed like their prayers were being answered. However, when their genitals didn't change, they became increasingly despondent. So Jenny is growing breasts, which they're like, great. But they still have male genitalia and they're like, what the fuck? Which I think would probably like in a in a seriously binary society, even today, I think that would be very upsetting and confusing to someone, you know, where it's like, what is my body even doing right now? 
Now, instead of praying to be a girl, Jenny would spend hours a day praying that they would be more masculine and they would no longer be attracted to men. Being assigned male at birth afforded Jenny educational opportunities that were denied to women at the time, and they attended a boarding school and later Columbia University. Planning on continuing their education, Jenny began their graduate studies. However, after a physical exam, the doctor determined that Jenny was a quote-unquote sexual invert. And this is a very antiquated way of saying that someone did not behave in a way that followed the societal norms or was like seen as being gay. So like it like it's it's so weird because basically this doctor is examining Jenny Mm -hmm. and being like oh you have a penis but you're way too effeminate like so you're a sexual invert gross and it's like I didn't know my personality and my behaviors were inherently crafted by my genitals I don't wake up every day and my and my vagina is like okay here's the thing yeah. Here's how to be a woman today. Right, like, let's, let's talk this out today. Yeah. Um, even though this is like a really gross idea, it was a pivot in the prevailing ideas about homosexuality at the time, describing it as a congenital condition rather than a vice, because people often saw being gay or effeminate, you know, any of that, you know, anything under the LGBTQ plus rainbow as a moral deficiency. It's like... Like the way they used to view poor people, and I mean, to be frank, we still do, where it's like, well, you did something bad, or this is a choice you're making, right? and you're morally deficient, and that's why you're this way. This is at least acknowledging that it's some kind of physical, right. or like, you know, it, it's naturally occurring in the person. It's I'm not saying anyone liked it, or, you right. know, they're still, they're treating these, still treating these people terribly, Yeah, but it's that weird, it, it is a pivot in the mentality around the views of homosexuality. So again, that didn't mean people being accused of being sexual inverts were treated well. The physician reported Jenny to the dean of their school, which resulted in them being expelled. As Jenny would write, quote, I was expelled from the university for being an androgyny. And that's how they often describe themselves. And I'm like, what the? Okay. 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 Like, you have to get a medical exam from a doctor who's, like, checking out your bits and then reports you to the dean? What does that report look like? What the hell? It's it's so gross. The discrimination deeply impacted Jenny, who began to suffer from depression and suicidal thoughts. Of this incident and time, Jenny wrote, in all caps, I beg, and like the all caps is really just like how they're pleading. Yeah. I beg all adults, particularly school officials, to be extraordinarily charitable and sympathetic with girl boys, again, their word, and other sexually abnormal by birth who may seem to have lost their senses. Guard against doing anything that would lead lead the disgrace to commit suicide, which event is fairly common among these as they quote stepchildren of nature, I kind of like that, like stepchildren of nature, like some yeah. badass band I name. Do too. But like basically, they're saying, 
could we not disparage and disgrace people like me? Because right. we will like it We're has serious consequences. And also, these are the consequences. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's the point, though. Because one of two things are going to happen. You're going to conform to your own detriment or you're going to, you're not going to survive. Yeah. Which then no Both one has to deal with are it. terrible. Like that is what, uh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. This is another thing we could probably tangent about for a long time because the mental load that it takes on these people. Yes. Regardless of the choice they make is absolutely horrendous and like i i know there there are people out there that like to be like well it's fine but i don't want to see it and it's like you would never say that about a straight person well here's the thing fuck you maybe yeah maybe i don't want to see you kissing your wife like yeah fuck you also that is part of this whole thing the hiding the well you can do your thing but just not just out do it in behind public closed doors. because i don't want to know that. you exist oh does that hurt you emotionally well, either you're going to conform or you're not going to survive. Yep. And then that person who doesn't want to see two men or two women kissing doesn't have to deal with it. And that is that yeah. is the outcome. That is the desired outcome of this whole structure. That's gross. That is victimizing members of the queer community. Yep. They want bodies. They want a body count. So this is a great time. <laughs> to talk about how mental health issues disproportionately affect the LGBTQ plus community. According to the Trevor Project's 2022 National Survey on LGBTQ Youth Mental Health, 45% of LGBTQ youth seriously considered attempting suicide in the past year. LGBTQ youth who felt high social support from their family reported attempting suicide at less than half the rate of those who felt low or moderate social support. Okay. Fewer in fewer than one in three transgender and non-binary youth found it found their home to be gender affirming. Fewer than one in three. That is outrageous. LGBTQ youth who found their school to be LGBTQ affirming reported lower rates of attempting suicide. 60% of LGBTQ youth who wanted mental health care in the past year were not able to get it. Yeah. Because, again, coping with society telling you you're wrong and even your own home life not being supportive, it takes a toll. And then you can't even access the proper services to help you with that. Yeah. Which then, like, it, it leads into these suicide rates. And, again, that is the point. Yeah. LGBTQ youth who live in a community that is accepting of LGBTQ people reported significantly lower rates of attempting suicide than those who do not. This is about saving people's lives. Right. Like, this is literally life and death. It's, it makes me so mad. Yeah. And these are 2022. Right. Oh, stats. Yeah. Excuse me why I like rage over here in my chair. Yeah. Well, and one of the things I really... Um, I really like about exploring, especially during Pride Month, but, you know, the these queer stories is the insight it gives you into what's going on today. Yeah. And sometimes it's, wow, it's a lot better. And sometimes it's like, wow, we need to do so much better. But, I mean, I think that's the whole point of history is that it is... It's not a singular event. It's a compounding part of a story that we are all still living and actors right. within. Yep. 
So at 18 years old, Jenny sought out doctors to help make them feel like, quote, a normal male. Several doctors treated Jenny with drugs, hypnosis, electroshock, and all manner of methods, but nothing, quote unquote, fixed Jenny because nothing was broken. And again, this is just like April Ashley. Like they were trying so hard to conform to the masculine ideals, even going as far as to seeking out doctor's help. But because there's nothing broken, there's nothing to be fixed. Yeah. Jenny was described as being an incredibly shy and easily embarrassed bookworm. And this likely shielded them from close scrutiny of their queer identity because they just kind of like were closed off. And fortunately, Jenny was able to find their community. A popular gay bar, Parisis Hall in New York City, was one of a few safe havens for the LGBTQ community. Here, gay men, transgender people, and drag queens would gather to socialize and drink in a safe environment. The culture of this bar was all about openness, self-expression, and experimentation with one's sexual and gender identity, something that couldn't be done elsewhere without the threat of arrest, violence, and a myriad of, of other forms of persecution including murder like again i just want to keep reiterating these are what the stakes are then and now everyone also used false names to protect their identities because even in this welcoming environment everyone was still at risk of violence being outed or being arrested remember april ashley's friend quote unquote ratted her out to the press right or i shouldn't say ratted outed her she didn't do right. any, she didn't do anything wrong but you know what i mean like it's, she the, it was a violation of privacy yeah um so jenny embraced this freedom presenting as femme it was in this environment that the u.s's first transgender rights organization formed in 1895 the circle of hermaphroditos and circle is spelled c-e-r-c-l-e which i'm like so theatrical loving yeah just so dramatic their mission was quote to unite for defense against the world's bitter persecution jenny was one of the leaders of this group operating under the pseudonym roland reeves which it makes it sounds like roland leaves yeah and i i'm like oh my god is fall here yet? It's halfway. It is partway. We're so close. We're like halfway through July. And I'm like. I love fall. Fall is my Give me the leaves. Yeah. Give me the leaves and the pumpkins. So we don't know much about this group as the only written records are from Jenny themselves in their autobiography. Quote, the female impersonators. There are surviving photos of the time that depict LGBTQ people from from the area and the time period, and they were described as Bowery Queens. I think it was like on Bowery Street or in okay. like a community like that. Yeah. But yeah, it's these like the photos are so cool because it's these old timey photos of like very masculine appearing people in dresses or like, you know, like drag queens, but they're not what is the what is the term like fishy? I, I I think I think in the drag community, fishy is where it's like, oh, you're you're dressed in drag, but you're not like trying that hard, like you haven't yeah. shaved or yeah. But again, it was just like such a cool expression to see from the eighteen fucking hundreds, right? Like the fact that it's it was there then and it's endured to now, yeah, is insane. 
So the secrecy uh, that was necessary for the members' protection has also concealed much of their activities from the historical record and led to some question as to whether or not it even existed, which I'm like, probably it definitely did. Just saying. And if, if this specific one didn't exist, something else did. I wouldn't be surprised if something existed before this group. Yeah. Like they're saying this is the first trans rights activist group. And I'm like, "Mm, was it though? It's just the first one we know about. So despite their quiet and shy demeanor, Jenny was not one to stay silent. They published several books and autobiographies telling their stories, such as The Autobiography of an Androgyny in 1918 and The Female Impersonators, 1922, making them one of the earliest trans or gender nonconforming Americans to publish their own story. Wow. Like Jenny is not just backing down. Yeah. Along with their writing, Jenny was a model, and there are surviving photographs of their work, including one called A Modern Living Replica of the Ancient Greek Statue of Hermaphroditos, which, which I'm love. like, they must have loved that. And yeah, it's like this, it's, it's this like really cool, like, you know, art, photography, modeling. It's, it's super neat. So Jenny would spend their whole life trying to describe who they were, often having to use antiquated terms of the time, several of which have been taken back by the queer community, such as like fairy or queen. Jenny wrote in 1879, quote, the weebling, which is a term for an effeminate gay man, is a total mixture of male and female in which the female element is ever predominant, a thoroughly hermaphroditically organized being. Despite his male sexual organs, he is more than more woman than man. He is a woman with male sexual organs. He is a neutral sex. He is a neutered. He is the hermaphrodite of the ancients. And like reading this now, like all these different adjectives right. and, and labels are popping up for me. Like trans, you yeah. know, you're, you're, you know, all, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try. I'm not going to be like, well, I think Jenny was this because that's not my place to say, but you can, you can hear them struggling to like name this feeling and this state of being. And it's so it's very comforting that I feel like we have a lot more language now and access to language that would help someone describe how they feel and who they are. Right. So reading this really makes me ache because Jenny would have been in a much better place to find words for how they felt or even the freedom to forego labels entirely today. But in the 1800s and early 1900s, Jenny is in a position where they They and the community are trying to understand their identities in a world where their existence is illegal and knowledge is passed on only within the community, who then also have to try and come up with the words. And I mean, even now, the LGBTQ plus community is still evolving in how, you know, people refer to themselves and, you know, the labels and the terms. And like when we were in high school, you did not say queer. Now it's like a term that's been taken back and can be used as a shorthand to describe like the large, the community as a whole. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
So we don't know exactly when Jenny died or what the circumstances of their death were, but uh, most historians propose that they died in San Francisco in 1950. Mm-hmm. Um, Jenny left instructions for the creation of a memorial plaque and wanted the plaque to be placed on the Grand Street facade of a new police building near the site of his, or excuse me, their debut, uh, where they had first taken the name Jenny June. A police building could be considered an intriguing choice. And this this is a quote straight from Wikipedia. Uh, The police building could be considered an intriguing choice because police had harassed and terrorized June and their friends, giving them frequent nightmares. So I think that was like Jenny's like, fuck you from the grave. Yeah, fuck you. Yeah, like, oh, you terrorize me? Your whole ass building is going to have my name on it. So, So die mad about it. Which I love... The idea that Jenny could, like, kind of be a salty bitch, you know? Like, oh, my dying wish is to have this plaque commemorating me and my identity as Jenny June on this fucking police building because fuck them. And again, you know, their their existence, uh, uh, Jenny's and the whole community's was at was threatened by the police, and by the government and by law enforcement and the laws at the time. And so when people uh, talk about having police presence at Pride or people in police uniform and the LGBTQ plus community gets upset about it, that's why. Yeah. Because it is still, first of all, it is still happening. It's still a problem. Um, trans individuals who are murdered, they're less likely to have their case solved or cared about. They're so often misgendered. Uh, it's it's such a it's such a fucking mess. And it's like you can't ignore all of that history of persecution by the people who are supposed to protect you. Right. And this is why, hey, if you're a cop and you want to attend Pride as a citizen, go for it. But you do not show up in your uniform. Right. There should not be a police presence. Like, sorry. Or if it is, it should be very clear that they're there supportingly not cordoning shit off or like hassling anyone i mean because like if they're cordoning off like a group of protesters protesting against pride great thank you for being there well then then the cops aren't at pride they're at yeah that's you know. true but yeah no um you know what listen listen to the leaders in your queer community and if they're like, no, this is a no-go, listen to them because they probably know a hell of a lot more than you do. Right. Just saying. But yeah, I, I stumbled upon the uh, the circle of Hermaphroditos and I was like, excuse me? Excuse me, what? But there wasn't a ton of information about oh, them. That's so sad. Um, and again, that was by design because they're, you know, they're, they're being active, but they can't write any of this down. It's kind of like some of these war spies that we talk about where it's like, you don't write... You don't write your story down. You don't talk about it. Um, But Jenny, because they were a writer, had a lot more information about them. And that is the story of Jenny June and the circle of Amaphroditos. Which I love. I love it. I love it. Writing writing the young adult novel right now as we speak. Bring it on. Hey guys, we know times have been tough lately for all of us. And during hard times, it can be difficult if you don't have anyone to talk to or it can be hard to talk about certain topics. Being alone with your thoughts can be isolating. This is why we are sponsored by BetterHelp. 
BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen to and help you. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Thank goodness. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to the help that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. That is Amazon fast. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential, just like with an in-person therapist. You can request a new therapist at any time at no additional charges. If you want to talk to someone about your mental health, you can get a 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash herstory. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash herstory. So, Kelly. Who am I whining about? Who are you whining about right now? I am whining about Louise Lawrence. Louise Lawrence. Yeah. More literary. Okay, this is like the third person we've covered that's had great. Because we had April Ashley, Louise Lawrence, and Jenny June. Yeah. We're, we're on an alliteration train. We're right okay. Now. No, wait. Choo choo. They're all going to have their individual like origin books, but then they're going to come together. Yes. To form the circle of hermaphroditos. <laughs> <laughs> so Louise was born in 1912, assigned male at birth. Very important. Uh, she began wearing traditionally feminine clothing at a young age. Some say around like five or six and would wear her mother's clothes, which she would often get in trouble for. You know, parents didn't like that. In nope. the 1930s, she would marry. And when she was 22, she had a daughter with her wife because, like I said, mm-hmm. assigned male at birth named Anne. And after the death of her first wife, um, she married a woman who at first accepted her for wearing gender affirming clothing and was fine with her wearing feminine clothing. Um, but they divorced three years later when she became less and less accepting over time, mm. which is super sad. I, I, it's really sad. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm not defending anyone who doesn't, you know, support their, their partner who's going through that journey. I will say, I think sometimes a spouse can find it's a journey. They cannot go on. Yeah. Yep. You know, they, they, they can't join their partner for that journey because they, they have their own needs right. and their own, you know, and, and that's fine, but it is very sad. Right. After the divorce, Louise would live full-time as a woman, starting in Berkeley, California, and later moving to San Francisco. She would say later um, in her journals on her transition, quote, I consider Louise to be my true identity, even though the birth records say differently. And on this, I will stand. For to me, as to most people who know me, I am Louise. I love that. I am Louise. Right. Although she considered gender reassignment surgery, she chose not to pursue it and instead experimented with various hormone treatments under the guidance of Harry Benjamin. She wrote, quote, I firmly believe that most transvestites have the same urge for a sex change, but in varying degree in areas. And I know transvestites is not a commonly used term anymore and has some negative connotations. I do say it several times in my story, but it's because it's the language that Luis was using at the time. Kind of like with mine, you know, that language was in quotes or the titles of organizations that were literally created by the people 
who we're talking about. So, right. Also, I, I think that's so interesting because even today, you know, there's no right or wrong way to be a man, a woman, to be non-binary, to be androgynous, to be gender fluid, to be, um, to be trans because gender is a spectrum. So there are plenty of people who consider who, who are trans, who, you know, maybe they wear a dress and still have a beard or, you know, like there are right. all these different crossovers and it is no one's obligation to quote unquote pass right. for you because maybe being incredibly feminine or incredibly masculine is how that person feels most comfortable. But again, it is a spectrum and the binary is not welcoming to a lot of people. So yeah. I love that even at this time, she's acknowledging that, hey, everyone has a different transitional journey and yep. all of them are valid and that's okay. Yep. Again, like April Ashley literally had a vagina that didn't make her any more or less of a woman though. Right. So during this time, um, Luis would also be an artist who, who would sell her paintings and she wrote a 117 page autobiography entitled Lawrence, Lawrence Autobiography, both of which... Uh, um, her autobiography would remain unpublished. However, it is housed in the Louise Lawrence collection in the Kinsey Institute archives. Oh, that's cool. Because yeah. isn't the Kinsey oh, we're scale? Get into okay. That. All right. Well, I'm I'm not gonna jump jump the shark. But yes, I think it is what you're thinking. Of. Okay. So throughout her life, Louise would correspond with and build an extensive worldwide network of transgender people um, by placing personal ads in magazines, contacting people who had been arrested for cross-dressing, really anything like that to try and build a community. And through Louise's network, members connected and basically became a collective and they were able to share information about doctors, medical procedures, compare surgical results, kind of help everybody find gender-affirming care. Because again, you cannot find this stuff on the internet. Right. It is information that is only acquired through the community and passed down through the community. Yep. Also- So she's building this community. I, okay, obviously like address, or- I'm going to say addressing, arresting someone for cro quote unquote cross-dressing. Right. Bad. We should not do that. No. That's awful. And that's actually what a lot of these anti-trans bills are, you know, aiming right. to do. But I also love the idea that by that person being on public record, Louise is just like, hey, we got another one. Exactly. Come into the fold. Right. Exactly. Come home to us. She, like, she's like, using <laughs> something that is probably traumatic to an individual to give them a home somewhere new yeah but also the cops are like creating her email yeah, list. right <laughs> um she was also known to house transgender individuals who uh, a lot of whom would travel to seek surgery in california san francisco in particular her network also included several notable drag queens and other transgender activists such as april ashley ah, yep. and shut arthur up. corbett yeah Oh my God. That's awesome. I yeah. love when we have a good cross because her story had a crossover. Right. Oh my God. Louise was a member of the Mattachine Society of San Francisco. That is like a gay rights organization built by Harvey Milk. Um, oh, for people wow. Who don't know. So, like, super early National Gay Rights Association. Yeah. Um, 
and it was affiliated with what was known at the time. So I'm again, not trying to be offensive, but, um, the homophile movement in San Francisco. Um, so just for a little context Context. of what the homophile movement is, is it at the time it was a collective term for organizations and publications supporting and representative sexual minorities, particularly in the fifties and sixties, um, it comes from the term homophile, which was commonly used by these organizations at the time. Um, most of these organizations are still around today, just rebranded as LGBTQIA plus organizations. Um, and most of the quote unquote homophile groups have disbanded as older members clashed with younger members who became more radical after the Stonewall riots. Yes. I can totally see that, especially because, um, and we talked about it when we covered Marsha P. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera, that there was this rift yep. in the, so, you know, the, the modern gay lib movement really came from the Stonewall uprising, but there was this political strategy to be like, we're super normal and just like you, and, you know, you, you wouldn't be able to tell us from anyone else, which... When you bring in drag queens and trans people and people who don't conform to gender or especially people who have been forced to the edges of society, like the people who were at the Stonewall Uprising, that kind of image falls apart. So there is this, even within the gay lib movement, this effort to push that down and exclude, you know, people of color, transgender people drag queen all that and it was it was it's just so sad and it's it's one of those things I get the political strategy behind it especially for the time but you are cutting a limb off of the body yeah and you can't can't do that you you can't make that sacrifice it's it's so it's still so detrimental we we still have those effects today yeah it's terrible so in 1942, Louise would be visited by Virginia Prince um, after after Virginia had attended one of Louise's lectures on um, basically just kind of what was going on in the community. Mm-hmm. And Louise would subs- subsequently introduce Virginia to her colleagues in transven- transgender-oriented medical pr- pr- research, and Virginia would later become one of the leading transgender activists because of this exposure from Louise. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. A few years later, Luis would help publish alongside Virginia and a few others a newsletter titled Transvestia, Journal of the American Society for Equality in Dress. I actually kind of fucking love that. Right? <laughs> um, basically, this was a newsletter that published a ton of articles and stuff like that, which hoped to combat discrimination against cross-dressers, as well as educate medical researchers about transvestism. Which is something that we still desperately fucking need, especially with medical professionals being barred from providing patients with options and support in those areas. Right. And that was one of Louise's passions throughout her entire life was to educate the public as well as medical professionals about gender nonconformity in general. Mm -hmm. She would... um, act as a key interface between medical researchers and the, her network of transgender individuals and queer individuals um, to kind of like 
make connections with each other, she would write, quote, I am trying to gather as much information as possible in order for the medical man um, to be able to help people that come to them, end quote. So working in the nonprofit world, I'm kind of realizing how important that, like, like I know in business networking is, you know, it's supposed to be important. I always hate it. But in the nonprofit world, it is so critical because there are so many different organizations doing different things and everyone, everyone wants to help. You know, everyone's kind of starting from the same place. But if you're not aware of them or if you don't know the right person to talk to, it can be hard to get a collaboration going. And so getting those connections and having the introductions are so important. And so now when we do these stories where it's like, oh, and this person, you know, Cindy Lou, who introduced these two right. people and then this happened. I'm like, that person who did the introduction is incredibly important and I do not want to gloss over them. So yeah. the fact that Louise is doing these introductions and making these connections and then being the bridge between the medical community who, you know, acknowledge her experience right. and then the queer community who trust her because that's a huge right. factor is huge like she is the bridge yeah um so one of the people she would meet with often was carl bowman who was a psychiatrist and director of the langley portal porter psychiatric clinic at the university of california um and he was someone who did a lot of research on homosexuality in general um she would frequently go to his classes and lecture on transgender topics and as um, not only to his classes, but to his colleagues as well. And through um, Carl, uh, Luis was able to meet Hen, Hen, oh my God, Harry Benjamin, <laughs> a researcher in transsexual medicine, as well as endocrinology and, and a sexologist from Germany. So like he's actually doing this research. He's working with these people. Um, and Louise was able to introduce him to her contacts in the transgender community. And according to former colleagues, Benjamin used Louise as a sounding board for a lot of his ideas to make sure like, Hey, as someone who is a um, transgender individual, like how does this sound? Does this come across weird? Like, is this feasible basically? And Louise wrote um, of her great appreciation for Benjamin, quote, as one of the few medical men in this country who has any understanding of this problem. Okay, I love that. I love that he is not only asking, but listening to trans people. Right. You know, he's not just being like, well, I'm a doctor. And so what I say goes. I also really love that with all of the languages we have talked tackled on this podcast henry harry benjamin just can't do it i wanted to say henry not could not so like i wasn't laughing at you or i I was laughing at you a little but it was mostly laughing just like man we can't french can't do it german can't do it most languages can't do it harry benjamin can't do it either (laughs) i'm just glad we're consistent yep (laughs) with not being able to do the thing um, so another famous person that uh, Luis would often work closely with was Alfred Kinsey. He was a key figure in sexology and would go on to found the Institute for Sex Research, which is now known as the Kinsey Institute for Research in Sex, Gender, and Reproduction. Um, he's best known for writing the sexual behavior in the human male and then sexual behavior in the fem- human female, as well as the Kinsey reports, or those are known as the Kinsey reports, and then the Kinsey scale, 
which the Kinsey scale in and of itself is kind of a thing. Um, I, it's a thing. That's what I'm going to go with. Basically, it's a scale that ranges from heterosexuality to homosexuality. It's like a questionnaire, and then it places you on this graph, which I just have a lot of judgments about, and there's been a lot of, like, controversy around it. Um, but again, remember, this was published in, like, the 50s, so I give him a little bit of... um leeway and also like the fact that he believed that sexuality is fluid and can change over time was huge i i I was gonna say my understanding of the kinsey scale is that by today's standards totally outdated like don't don't use it but for the time the idea that your your sexuality could be on a spectrum the idea that it could change over time right was huge and i don't think that idea is wrong. Well, and the interesting thing is, because I kind of fell down a rabbit hole because it's a psych thing, and I was like, ooh, let me read about this, is he didn't intend it to be like, you're homosexual, you're you're heterosexual. He intended it to kind of prove to people that those aren't the only two things on the spectrum. Right, right. And how do you prove that? You give someone a quiz, and then you're like, hey, look, you're over here. Yeah. Um, And so, like, I think the, the reasoning behind why he wanted to do it was fairly sound but like the test itself I think got perverted a lot into something it wasn't originally intended to be yeah anyway it's like it like became a Facebook quiz yeah it's kind of sad but anyways um it's interesting it's an interesting read but basically she worked uh Luis worked very closely with him and actually said quote in talking to Dr. Kinsey I brought up my interest in transvestism and to my surprise he said that he thought the problem was relatively rare I am very sure that it is much more common than most of us, even prominent doctors, are willing or able to admit. I was going to try and prove to him that I was right, and he encouraged me by saying that any facts or figures I can contribute would be valuable. So, like, he's like, I don't see that. It's a, it's a rare thing. And Luis is able to come back and be like, it's not as rare as you think it is. People just hide it. And he's like, yeah, he's like, that's cool. Like, l- like, give me the give evidence. Me the numbers. Like, I don't, and I don't I, think I he mentioned just... in a mean way. I think he was just like, I'm fine believing that if the, if there are more people, like, please show me. Yeah, he's, he's, you know, man of science looking for the evidence. I hope she just walks in with all our trans friends, just goes like, boom. Right, like, this is just like giant book of like, Hello. here you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, by, uh, within a few years, Kinsey actually had employed Louise to um, basically type the life histories of her acquaintances, so of her transgender acquaintances, and to copy other manuscripts of transvestite fiction. Again, I'm using their wording, not mine. Um, especially for an underground genre known as petticoat discipline. Oh, I we've talked about like, I, I think we've talked about that before, like petticoat books. Because it was like, it was kind of like homoerotic Pulp yeah, fiction so or... I like tried to Google it. Don't try and Google it. <laughs> Everyone Google petticoat I was discipline. Like, I was like, what is this? Safe and search basically, off. Yeah, it, it, it basically pops up a bunch of books like Petticoat Discipline, How to Change Your Naughty Son into a Ballerina Queen. And so, yeah, it seems to be like a lot of... I don't know if it's supposed if what it was supposed to be. Because I like tried to look it up and I could not figure, but I think it's a lot of like feminization of people. Okay. Particularly like men. Okay. 
whether it's a, like a good thing or a bad, I'm, I think back then it might've been a good thing, but like, yeah, as I kind of like researched it, it kind of seemed like petticoat punishment in particular was, yeah, like a child discipline, a, a way to like embarrass your son when he did something wrong. Oh, it was like, you did something wrong. You now have to wear women's clothes. It was weird. That's fucked. Yep. Yep. And but Please I'm don't I'm guessing that. I'm guessing the stuff she was transcribing was probably more of a like boy acting out so he could wear women's clothes with his parents' permission. So so was so did you say that she was writing of instances of petticoats or she was writing She was copying manuscripts of transvestite fiction, yeah. including a genre known as petticoat discipline. Okay. So okay, like, I, I, th- see. I have a feeling those particular stories were probably of people that were actually transgender wanting to wear female clothing. So they acted out. So their parents put them in female clothing. Okay. I, I see what you're saying. Um, Luis would go on to encourage a lot of her transgender peers to be inter- interviewed by Dr. Kinsey for his research. And when she shared with him her list of transvestite contacts, the list included 19 people in the Bay Area, 152 people nationwide. Which is just this one person's yeah. contact. And that, that's Let's in 1954. Clear. This is the Without context the internet. that one person has been able to amass. Yep. Like that is a fraction of who actually existed. Right. She would send him a collected scrapbook of newspaper clippings along with personal materials such as her correspondence, a diary of the year she began her transition, photographs and her autobiographical writing all of which is still available at the kinsey institute that is so cool. he would the doctor dr kinsey would also go on to contribute to her newsletter transvestia i so he okay. was a huge supporter of the the trans community yeah, which I, I love again i wouldn't use that word today and like i i know you're not using it uh but i do love that like i, I love that she's like this is gonna be my magazine title i'm like yes <laughs> right so Louise was critical of medical views on gender affirming care or surgery. Like basically she was pro. And so she was very critical of like the medical views against it. And after the whole high profile transition of Christine Jorgensen, who we've talked about. Kelly covered her. Yep. Uh, Louise wrote, quote, if only some of these American medical men could not continually imagine that their own penis was removed when Christine's was, maybe we could see some thoughtful, imaginative progress made in the field. You know, I think that's, I think she hits on an interesting point in that. It's that somehow Christine Jorgensen's transition emasculates these other men. Yeah. And it's like, how does that have fucking anything to do with you? But also, I think that's also where like, um, you know, there's like the, the gay panic defense. Yep. Or, you know, if, you know, um when a trans individual is, is murdered, the person's like, well, they, they tricked me or, you know, shit like that. I think it's deep down. It's this like weird insecurity, this discomfort with yourself. Like it's more about you than it is about the other person or like anyone else, you know, and you're the one that's making this about you. Yeah. And that says a lot more than someone like, transitioning or living their true authentic self that you have a problem with that that you somehow as an individual feel threatened by that when this community is literally being threatened with violence yep like mm. 
Get therapy. Get therapy. Toxic masculinity. Get rid of it. Throw it in the bin. Yeah. Um... So the weird thing was I couldn't really figure out when she died or how she died. Because she didn't. No, there's a very brief thing that she died in like 1976. Nope. Um, which Fake would news. Which make her 64 years old, um, which is pretty good. Um, but it kind of annoys me that I can't find like anything past like after the Christine Jorgensen thing, mm-hmm. which annoy- it just annoys me basically. Um I did find a few other things just for her legacy. Um, There is something known as the Louise Lawrence Transgender Archive in California. Yeah, And it's a lot of, like, her her community that she made um, and stuff like that. That's kind of what started it. And so the goal of the Louise Lawrence Transgender Archive is to increase the understanding of transgender people and encourage new scholarships by making transgender historical materials available to students, scholars, and the public. So they have a lot of like her writing as well as like a lot of the copies of Transvestia and um, a whole bunch of other stuff, which I think is really, really great. Well, that was a huge part of what she did during her life was collecting the records and collecting the stories from other people and sharing them. Yep. And so that's exactly what this archive continues to do, which I love. Oh my God. Um, also, um, obviously like what she created was, a um, basically formed into a long lasting organization that provided a base for social movements. Like, because even once Luis was gone, all these people were still interconnected because of her. Um, a lot of her archival material has been exhibited several times. Um, and so you can still go and see it as well as some of the things at the Kinsey Institute um, are still there as well. So there's the Louise Lawrence Transgender Archive. There's the Louise Lawrence Collection at the Kinsey Institute. And then some of her material was on like a traveling exhibit called Bring Your Own Body. She's like, so, so we've covered women in the past who played a really important role in archiving, you know, the LGBTQ plus experience. But she's kind of like, the one of the OG trans yeah. archivists. Yeah. She was like, this is important. And I feel like she was doing it anyways. And then Dr. Kinsey was like, here, let me give you more money to do it. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, oh, I also want to know about all of this. Right. And Tell so me I, the I love that there's an instant, like, I love that her stuff is archived various places to go and see. But then I love that there's an institute dedicated to her memory, continuing the work that yeah. she was doing. And I'm just sad that I, I can't, find how she died where she died when she died and go where like, she's buried exactly where she's buried oh my god but yeah so that was louise lawrence you know I, I was just thinking that might um like not knowing where she's buried at least might be on purpose yep. if there's you know worry that people are going Hate. to fuck yeah, with her which grave. is sad and it makes yeah. me sad well i mean matthew shepherd um was just buried Oh God, it was just a few years ago because his parents didn't want to bury him because they were worried about his grave being um, yep. vandalized. Yeah. Even being buried, you're dead. People still want to fuck with like, you, which makes me so mad. still the threat of violence, and that's just, yeah. These were really cool stories, 
but I'm super angry right now. Right. Because it just brought up all these issues that we're still facing and even this desperate attempt to wheel us backwards in a big way. God's sake. We're not going to let that happen. Fuck no. Well, Kelly, in the light of this rage. No, I went last last time. You have to go first. Nope. Nope. I started asking first. I started asking first. What am I thankful for? What are you Um, thankful for? I'm thankful for having a best friend who wants to go back to our old stomping, pre-undergrad stomping ground with me. And not only that, I have someone that wants to do that with me and I know I'm going to have fun with. It's Emily, in case you can't. I was going to say, who is this uh, magical lady? Um, <laughs> but also that, like, our our undergrad is close enough that we're able to do that. And just that, yeah, like, we had a good experience. And, you know, like, yeah, neither of us would be who we are now or even be friends if it wasn't for River Falls. So I'm, I'm just glad that we have that opportunity and the ability to do that. We're going to take pictures outside of our old dorm building, like where, where the magic happened. Yep. Where this beautiful podcast was first given birth to in the form of our friendship. It's going to be very tearful. We're going to cry. No, I'm probably just going to talk about like, oh my God, I remember being really depressed. (laughs) Yeah. I remember Emily sleeping like. 20 out of 24 hours a day. I napped a lot because depression is a bitch. a lot about yeah, you. I, I would come and steal your roommate quite often. And I'm glad you did we would because... Be like, does Emily... No, Emily's sleeping. Yeah, no, he, he needed that because I was just... Yeah, I was a depressed mess. It was better by the time we lived together. It was. I went through my own shit too, though. We all did. Yeah, it's we're in better places now. Yep. What are you thankful for? Um, I am really thankful because I got the opportunity to hang out with uh, little Q. Oh. And I I took her to the mall because that's what she wanted to do. And we were going around Hot Topic. And she's like, why does this place have everything that I love? And I'm like, because your mother is raising you right. Because <laughs> I'm like, I also still love Hot Topic. Yep. But you know, we were bumming around the mall. She wanted us to get friendship bracelets together. So naturally, I bought us. We have little dinosaur friendship bracelets that say RAR. Oh, my God. That's she adorable. She picked them out, too. I was I like, I will it. buy you friendship bracelets because I'm just so touched that you want to share that with me. But at one point, we were just kind of like tooling around. She just looked at me and she's like, I'm really I really like spending time with you. It's like she or some something like it. Really, yeah. I, it just like it kind of caught me off guard because normally her and I are so silly together, and that she was just like, you know, I really, I really enjoy this. I'm really enjoying spending time with you, and you know, and it just it really touched me because I think that the time that we spend with anyone in our lives, um, it has more of an impact than we realize because we don't often share that, or that's not often shared with us. So, you know, I've been doing these Q coupons with her and I'm like, well, I mean, I'm, I, I know she has fun on our outings, but I was like, is this really going to like make an impact in the long term? And I think it would, I think it is making an impact and that's, that was awesome. And then, um, I told her what my kryptonite was. Um, we were, we were in Barnes and Noble and there was a buy one, get one 50% off for, for books. It was like children, children's yeah. lit. And I was like, hey, Q, do you want to know my weakness? She's like, what? I'm like, if you ask for a book, I will always buy you a fucking book. 
you know, because she she's she's young and she doesn't have a lot of money. And she's like, will you buy this for me? I'm like, absolutely not, unless it's a book. So I got her a couple books. Oh, yeah. that's cute. And she signed up. She uh, got a thing for their like summer reading club. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's so awesome. If your mom can't bring you back here to turn in your paper, let me know. I will come and get you. At any time. And right. we will break into the Barnes and Noble and turn in your sheet and you will get your free book. That's cute. Yeah. No, it was it was a lot of fun. I really liked that. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAH Pad. Twitter at WAH underscore pad. Pad. It's, like, it's like how Miss owns right. we, we don't say bag, we say bag. It's a bag. Pad. Yeah. Mail. Anyways, whiningaboutherstory.com where you can find our merch, our Patreon, our buy me a coffee, or anywhere anything else Fuck, you want to I know. Forgot I know to you talk did. about that at the beginning again. So our two options for supporting us are Patreon, where you can donate monthly um, at various tiers and get various rewards. Otherwise, if you want to give us a one-time donation, um, we have Buy Me a Coffee, which in our case is Buy Me a Wine. Um, you can either suggest a bottle of wine and we'll go buy it. Otherwise, we'll buy it based on your name or some other funny pun if we know you really well. Emily's going to die of shame now. Um Please rate us five stars wherever you listen, and we love you. I keep meaning to talk about the buy me a wine at the top of every episode. We just need to record something that I can slap yeah, in to Next the beginning time. of all of these. Tonight. Okay. Well, thank you so much for listening to another shame-filled episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. Have an empowered day, y'all. Bye. Bye.